Governor Abbott asked that every church in Texas have a time of prayer today for the Ukraine, so let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer for that right now. Father, we are so trusting in your power, your might. You hold the whole world in your hands and the entire universe. And Lord, you know that there are many of your children who are being killed, murdered indiscriminately in Ukraine. And we know, Lord, that you hate this war. We hate it. We just pray against Putin and his murderous ways and pray that somehow you will bring about peace in that part of the land. And Lord, be with all the people over there, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, whose uh, lives, whose property, whose very freedom is being threatened. And we pray that you will receive glory uh, by doing something miraculous there to stop the killing. We ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the gospel according to Mark, verse after verse. We're in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. And I want to ask you a question. Are you an old whiner or are you a new wine skin? Because that's what Jesus is going to be talking about. You know, it's so easy to complain. I, people complain about everything. And, and, you know, once you start writing comments and feedback on that, it's so easy just to anonymously just write terrible things. Uh, I sometimes go to the site TripAdvisor when I'm trying to check out where I'm going to visit somewhere. And these are some actual complaints that people send in on TripAdvisor. Uh, one person complained, the beach was too sandy. We had to clean everything when we returned to our room. Like, isn't that what a beach is? Somebody else said, no one told us there would be fish in the ocean. The children were scared of the fish. Okay. This person said, we went on a holiday to Spain and had a problem with the taxi drivers as they all spoke Spanish. <laughs> I was bitten by a mosquito. The brochure did not mention mosquitoes. Last one. We bought Ray-Ban sunglasses for $3 from a vendor outside the hotel, and we discovered they were fake. <laughs> the real ones cost $10, I think, yeah. Uh, there's a certain poet I like to uh, read every now and then. He, he, he was prolific in the last part of the uh, 1900s. His name was Edward Albert Guest, and he, he wrote a song, uh, wrote a poem called A Whine. I don't mind a man with a red-blooded kick at a real or a fancy wrong. I can stand for the chap with a grouch, if he's quick, to drop it when joy comes along. I have a praise for the fellow who says what he thinks, Though his thoughts may not fit in with mine, but spare me from having to mix with the ginks who go through this world with a whine. I'm willing to listen to sinner or saint who's willing to fight for the rights. And there's something sometimes in an honest complaint that the soul of me really delights. For kickers are useful and grouches are wise, for their purpose is frequently fine, but spare me from having to mix with the guys who go through this world with a whine. I say amen for that. I think I used to have a sign in my office and had, had the word whine with the like, do not, written over the middle of it. No whining allowed. Well, we're going to find that there's a group of religious mafia, religious leaders, professional religious snobs who are going to follow Jesus around and they're going to complain and be grouches about everything he says and everything he does, and again, we see it here in this passage. Let's read about it. 
Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 18, you're welcome to stand with me as we read this portion of the Word of God. Verse 18 of Mark 2. Now John's disciples, this is John the Baptist. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, this is Jesus, they wanted John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast. They're complaining. Jesus said to them, well, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. And then he throws in a couple of other little powerful word pictures. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. Next picture. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No, new wine is to be put into fresh wineskins. Let's pray. Father, I pray that over the next few moments you'll remove any distraction from our minds. And Lord, if we need to do some changing the way we think, if we need to change from old, hard, rigid wineskins into people who are open to fresh truth, I pray you'll convert our minds and cause us to listen to your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. So if you've been following along every week, you know, when Jesus told that paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Hey, you can't do that. Only God can forgive sin. That's blasphemy. Well, he did that. And then, of course, last week when uh, he was eating with those sinners. uh, Hey, why is it that Jesus eats with sinners? And here he says, hey, why are you fasting? And even the next week's message that we're going to talk about, his disciples grab some grain on the Sabbath day and rub it and eat it, and they criticize them for working on the Sabbath day, constantly complaining, complaining. But what Jesus has here is is basically three short parables that teach us truth. Now, you often think of the parables of Jesus as these long, you know, good stories like, People call it the prodigal son. I call it the parable of the loving father but or the good Samaritan. But sometimes his parables are just these short, pithy word pictures. And he gives us three of them right here. And we learn some practical applications to our lives for each one. You ready? Number one, a wedding feast isn't the time to fast. A wedding feast isn't the time to fast. Now, John the Baptist had some disciples and apparently they were fasting some of the time. The Pharisees had their, their disciples, and, and they had decided to fast also. Some of the, the, the Pharisees would fast three days a week. But here's the deal. That's just man adding on more rules because according to the Jewish literature, there was only one day a year when all Jews were required to fast, and that was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. No other day was it were they required to fast. So these people were just adding on rules that God didn't even give. And so they were criticizing Jesus for that. But he answers it, I think, in a, in a very interesting way. He says, you know what? We're, we're having a party right here because the bridegroom is here. Now, uh, how many of you dads have ever paid for a wedding for a daughter or two or three? <laughs> 
I have, and I've performed a lot of wedding ceremonies. And, you know, American weddings, you have an engagement, and everybody gets excited about that. And, and this younger generation, they're making more and more than an event out of the actual engagement thing. And then you'll probably have a uh, rehearsal dinner, after rehearsal dinner, you have a rehearsal, after rehearsal dinner. The next day you have the wedding ceremony, then you have a reception afterwards. That's basically it. And that can cost a lot of money. Amen. I know that for sure. But nothing like Jewish weddings. I mean, they had a, a, a time when they were betrothed for about a year where they really were living together. They weren't consummating the marriage, but they, they were legally married. And all of this was done to plan and build up to a celebration that would take sometimes a week and even two weeks, eating, music, dancing, fun. So this was something they loved to do. They loved to celebrate at these Jewish weddings. And so Jesus said, hey, I'm the bridegroom and I'm here. So we shouldn't be fasting right now. We should be partying right now. Because he said, the time is going to come, I'll be gone, and they will fast, and that's true. But right now, while Jesus is here, let's party. So what is the practical application? Here it is. Life is about a joyous relationship with Jesus, not religious rituals. See, some people get the idea that, that Christianity is just obeying a bunch of rules, following a lot of rituals, abiding by some regulations, and when you obey rules, it makes you feel good about yourself. But as I've said many, many times, Christianity is not about enduring a religion. It's about enjoying a relationship. And so you really ought to be enjoying your relationship with the Lord. You know, there are times when we're sad. There's times when there's grief. There's times when, yeah, we ought to fast. But worship and your relationship with God should always be more of joy than sadness. Now, it's like every day you have a choice to rejoice. You know, in Isaiah 61, verse 3, God says, okay, I'm going to give you a choice today. I can give you the crown of beauty instead of ashes. Your choice. I mean, you can wear the ashes on your head if you want to, but I'm going to give you the crown of beauty. I can give you the oil of gladness, or you can just take the mourning. It's your, your call. I can give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It's, it's your choice. That's one thing I've learned that rejoicing is not a feeling. It is a choice you make. In Philippians 4, 4, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. And when he wrote those words, he, he wasn't laying on a Mediterranean beach with the waves tickling his toes. He was inside a dark, dank, damp dungeon, and he couldn't even get free. He couldn't go outside. He was, he was a prisoner, but yet he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So you have to make the choice to rejoice. You know, there's a lot of people out there in the world that they really aren't interested in coming to your church or any church because they just have the idea that the church is just too quiet, too solemn, almost too dead for them to really enjoy themselves in church. Ray Stedman was one of my great friends and mentors, and here's what he writes about. He says, Jesus is commenting here upon the joy that should characterize our lives when we discover the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Church services for too, far too many centuries have been borrowed from the Old Testament concept of worship, and they have presented a sense of solemnity and silence and ritual 
Today, many people have the idea that a church service ought to be a time of silence. When everyone sits and is supposed to be all, sits in supposed awe-stricken solemnity before God. But this is not the picture Jesus came to give. No, he says, instead of the fast, it is a feast. Instead of the sackcloth, there's a robe. Instead of solemnity, there ought to be joy. One reason why so much of the church today is written off by people who have come to see what Christians are like is that they are turned off by the morbidity and dullness of what we call worship. Now, you know, even in the little church I grew up in, it was a First Baptist church, and there was a sign, a scripture sign, outside our sanctuary, and it was, I think, from Nahum or something, and it said this. It said, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. How many of you have ever heard that verse before? Yeah. And so, I mean, I thought that applied to our church. So, yeah, our church was pretty quiet. You better be quiet. Because if you didn't, you had these guys that would walk up and down the aisles. They were called the hushers. And I got hushed many, many, many times. And, and I always wondered about that verse. And I later looked it up and I could study the context of Scripture. And, and it's a warning to some of these nations against Israel. You better fear and be quiet, nations, because God is in his holy temple. And Israel is going to attack you and going to, you know, beat you in battle. It had nothing to do with worship whatsoever and so this ought to be a relationship that you enjoy it's fun to be a Christian and we've had so much bad advertising to the world that you know I'll come to church and then you lose all your fun no we got to got to tell them the truth that I it's more fun being a Christian than anything else that's the first little wisdom that Jesus gives here's the second little picture word picture parable he gives a new patch will ruin an old garment. Now, that doesn't really apply to us anymore. But back in the time of Jesus, when they made cloth, they couldn't really treat it. And so it would always shrink when it was washed. And, and it would usually keep on shrinking to a certain point. But if you got a tear in that cloth, you don't want to take new fabric and patch it with that because you know what's going to happen? That new patch is going to shrink and it's going to rip and make a worse uh, problem than you had before. Now, today we have all these treated fabrics and everything like that. It doesn't really apply to us. But however, I do remember I was, I was pretty rough on blue jeans when I was a kid growing up. And I always was just tearing holes in the knees of my blue jeans. And my mother would get those iron-on patches. You remember those iron-on patches? And I just had them all over my, my blue jeans. Now, today kids want their jeans ripped, right? I mean, they buy them ripped, you know, uh, Sometimes you still find the same thing when you get a real cheap T-shirt, you know, and you wash it a couple of times and hadn't been treated well. It shrinks. That, that's the idea here. All right, let's go beyond the picture. A parable, parabole, is where Jesus lays down a natural story or a natural picture. Parabole, to throw alongside. That's what it literally means. Then right alongside the natural picture, he gives a spiritual truth. The natural picture. Don't put a new patch on old cloth. The spiritual truth is this. It's what I call the personal application. Jesus doesn't just patch up your life. He gives you a new life. We're no longer part of the old covenant. We're part of the new covenant. You know, when we came into this world, we were formed by God 
but then we were deformed by sin. And the world says we've got a problem here. And so what we need to do is we need to reform you in a better image. Now, I had an older sister growing up, three years older than me, and we were always fighting. I know that surprises you. And I was getting in trouble. And she, she must have threatened me a hundred times. She said, if you don't stop that, you know, Mom and Dad, they're going to send you to the reformatory school. <laughs> I never even saw a reformatory school ever, never even knew if one existed. But she, I got threatened to be sent there. I guess if there is a reformatory school, that's when they send bad boys and girls to what? Reform them. Well, here's the truth. God doesn't want to reform your life. He wants to transform your life. He doesn't want to just put a patch on the problem. He wants to totally, absolutely transform you. Now, you know, most guys, you know, we're pretty handy around the house. And I found out I really only need about two tools. I need duct tape and WD-40. If it's, not, if it's moving and it's not supposed to move, duct tape it. If it's not moving and it's supposed to move, WD-40. But I'm not much of a handyman. And it's a good thing I'm not because I couldn't rebuild a house or anything like that. But God doesn't want to just come in and fix you up. He doesn't want to put a patch on your life. He wants to make you brand spanking new. In fact, here's what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Old is gone, new has come. I heard the funny story about a hillbilly mother whose son was always getting in trouble. And he had stumbled on a skunk. He got sprayed by a skunk, and on the way back, he, he'd run through some mud. He was just a mess. She was out in the yard just scrubbing him off, trying to get that smell off, trying to get that dirt off. And she was heard to make the statement. I swear, Jimmy, I think it'd be easier to just have another one than to clean this one up. <laughs> I'm so glad God doesn't give up on us. He keeps cleaning us and making us new. All right, here's the third little parable here. We've talked a little bit about the... Uh, Wedding feast, a patch on a cloth. Now he's going to talk about new wine. New wine will crack old wineskins. Now, mostly today, wine is in bottles. They didn't have bottles back then as such. So they would take goat skin. They would take the goat skin, scrub it down, scratch it down, let it tan. And when it was made into a wineskin, sewed over, uh, it was very soft and subtle. And you could put new wine in it. And when you put the new wine in it and you seal it, a process called fermentation takes place, which releases gases. And so that, that new flexible wine skin, it will stretch and grow and bend until it reaches the height of its fermentation. And then it's, it stays there. And then that wine skin grows hard and rigid, but it keeps the wine there. So Jesus is saying, if you take new wine that hasn't yet expanded, and you take one of those old wineskins, you put it in there, you're going to have a mess. I think I've got a picture here on the screen. Of the, on, the, on the left, you see an old wineskin. It's, it's gotten hard, rigid, uh, because it's had wine in it. And on the right side, you see a new wineskin, because it's still subtle, uh, supple, and flexible. So there's a point Jesus is trying to make here. 
The personal application is this. Beware of a hardened heart that refuses to accept new revelations of truth from God's Word. You see, the Pharisees didn't like Jesus because he would say the, the Old Testament says this, but I say unto you this, and they didn't want that new truth. He kept giving them new revelations of truth, and they just couldn't take it. So they were just like a bunch of old, hard, rigid wineskins popping, and they just couldn't abide by it. They couldn't accept what Jesus had to say. That's why they eventually are going to try to kill him. Now, if you are an old wineskin, chances are you've said something like this or at least thought it before. We've never done it that way before. Uh, it's going to cost too much money. What's wrong with the way we've been doing it for so long? See, because when you start trying to pour some new wine into old wineskins, there's a lot of seams start popping. You hear the leather start groaning a little bit. Uh, this happened in history, actually. Uh, in the late 1800s, some of the Christian groups in, in, in Europe got together. And there was a young man by the name of William Carey, who later was called the father of modern missions. He was at this big convention of a lot of preachers, and he, he, he asked this question. Is the Great Commission binding on us to take the gospel to foreign nations, to the pagan people? Because that wasn't being done yet. That was a revolutionary idea. And one of the oldest, most respected pastors stood up and famously said, or infamously said, sit down, young man. When God wants to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. See, these old preachers couldn't even fathom the idea that, hey, why don't we send people to these foreign lands, learn their language, take them the gospel. And so when he promoted this idea, it was like trying to pour new wine into old wineskins. So the Bible says we need to keep our heart supple, fresh, tender. You know, my favorite beatitude says, says this, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape. <laughs> blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape. The Bible actually says that in, in Hebrews 3, 7. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me. This, that's God speaking. Where they tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. All right, let's go back from the time, you know, Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're on the way to the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. God said, it's yours. All you got to do is claim it. They came to the boundary there, Kadesh Barnea. And I believe that this Jewish congregation must have had a little Southern Baptist in them because the first thing they did was appoint a committee, a 12-member Holy Land Inspection Committee. Their job was to go in and inspect the land and come back and make a report. Well, they came back and made the report, and, you know, 10 of the 12 spies said, oh, yeah, the land is flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful, but... They have giants in the land. We were as grasshoppers in our own eyes. I always have been amazed by that statement. 
they, they didn't look at us like grasshoppers. We thought we were like grasshoppers in, in our own eyes. So I'm sorry, we can't do it. We'll get killed if we try that. But there were two of the spies who said, yeah, they're big, but our God is a lot bigger. Yeah, they're big. They're too big to miss. Well, yeah, God can give us the strength. We're going to go in and take the land. All right, can anybody tell me the name of those two guys? Joshua and Caleb. Thank you. We name our sons Joshua and Caleb. Anybody give me the name of one of those other t- 10 negative spies? They're in the Bible. One of them's named Shamu. We name our whales after those guys. <laughs> so they must have had a business meeting. Moses said, okay, all in favor of going in and taking the promised land, say aye. And so Caleb and Joshua and their families, aye, 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 aye. All opposed, nay. And the... Hundreds of thousands of nays echoed off the canyon walls. <sighs> what they do? They hardened their hearts. They were not going to take that new wine because they had a bunch of old, stiff wineskins for hearts. So God said, okay, take another lap around Mount Sinai. And another. And another. For 40 years. Until that unbelieving generation died off. And then that's what Deuteronomy is all about. This new generation who's going to go in and take the land by faith. So sometimes when you hear something that you say, I don't see how this can happen. Just be careful that your heart is not hardened. You know, I grew up in Alabama, as many of you know. And there's a lot of racism there growing up of course I'm sure there there has been all across the south it's racism's a terrible sin but in the little town I grew up in we had uh, drinking fountains for whites and for coloreds and bathrooms for whites and coloreds even even back in the 60s and it's the late 70s 78 when I'm pastor of my first church in central Alabama a little kind of mill town and so I got the bright idea Hey, there's a trailer park just like a quarter of a mile from our church. So I started talking to some of the leaders in the church and said, well, why don't we buy a, like a 15-passenger van? And, of course, they, they'd never done anything like that before, and it was kind of a, hard to convince them. But finally, they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to buy a van. And then we had a couple of guys that volunteered on Saturdays to go out with the van into the mobile home park talk with the kids that are there, talk with the parents, would you be willing to let us take your kid? Just like a bus ministry, you see. And it was going great till about the fourth Sunday. I come into my office in that little church and there's a man waiting for me there. His name is Vernon Harrison. He is one of our five deacons and he's the, uh, he's superintendent of our Sunday school. And I can tell he's mad. He had red hair and his face was red too. And he, and he said, do you know who came into this church today? I said, no. He said, I, that van out there brought in a couple of, he said, black boys. But he didn't use the black boy word. He used a full-in word. And he said, I don't think they ought to be here. And either they leave or I'm leaving. And he's yelling at me. <laughs> he's an old man. He must have been in his early 50s. I think I'm about 25. So I'm saying, oh, Lord, give me some wisdom. But the only thing I knew to ask him is, uh, well, Vernon, what do you think Jesus would do? 
And he spun and turned, slammed that door, hopped in his pickup truck, tore out the parking lot. And I said, well, that's it for me. I mean, probably going to have to be looking for another church here pretty soon. And those uh, two, two little guys were in our worship service that day. And everybody else was very welcoming. But they did, did get a few looks. Nothing happened on Monday. Tuesday night, Vernon comes knocking on the door of the pastorium, which was just three houses down from where he lived. And you know, a, a busted wine uh, container, a busted wine skin is not a pretty sight. And his had, his had busted. But instead of wine, it was just a bunch of tears. You could tell he'd been crying a lot. And he was choking up as he was telling me. He said, David, I think what I did the other day was so wrong. God has convicted me of that. And he's broken my heart about that. And so I asked myself, what would Jesus do? And I'm sure Jesus would let those boys come to our church. And so if they want to come back to our church, I'm going to be the very first one in the parking lot to welcome them to our church. It was a beautiful sight, beautiful sight to see an old, hard, rigid wineskin all of a sudden become flexible and open to truth. So make sure that you don't have one of those old, rigid wineskins that aren't going to move. Say, God, check my heart. Is it soft? Is it tender? Is it open when you want to tell me something new? Let's pray. Would you take a moment right now and just say, Lord, is there any area of my life that I'm not totally surrendered to you? Is there any hardening of my heart when it comes to anything, any person, any ministry? If so, Lord, would you just tenderize my heart right now? Give me a tender heart of compassion. If you're here in this service today and you're not a member of Marlboro, why don't you pray about after we conclude in a moment, going back to Guest Central and say, I want to talk about what it means to be a member of this church. Or if you haven't been baptized since you were saved, go back there and say, I need to talk to someone about getting baptized. But if you're here and you don't know the Lord, I'd like for you to pray a prayer after me. You can pray it silently, but sincerely from your heart. Dear God, I admit I'm a sinner. I can never be good enough to earn heaven. Thank you that Jesus came to die for my sins. I receive you, Jesus, right now to take control of my life. I will live for you forever. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.